0: Bible in front of you. I would invite you just now to turn to that chapter that we read a moment or two ago. Ezra chapter 3. Ezra chapter 3. Now, earlier on in the week, um, I was playing a guessing game with my children and what fun we had. What would happen was that uh, on the computer I would zoom right into a picture of a member of the family. So I would zoom into a a corner of their hair or a a corner of their clothes and the kids had to guess who it was. And as you can imagine, it was a lot of fun uh, trying to work out if it was granny or whether it was grandad. And I suppose that in some ways, there's a danger that, uh, as we study this book of Ezra, that, that, that what can happen is that week by week, we zoom in, don't we? And we zoom in on a few verses, we zoom in on a chapter, a passage, and we could fail to properly see the bigger picture. We could fail to see the and the context and, and the book as a whole. So before we get to Ezra chapter 3, let's just stop for a second and let's consider a few introductory details about Ezra. The first one is that Ezra's a book in two parts. It's a book in two parts. Because you've got the first part, which runs from the beginning of the book through to chapter 6. And that deals with this first wave of exiles that come back from Babylon under the leadership of Zerubbabel and Shesbazar and uh, Jeshua the priest. And then you've got a gap. Okay? It's a gap of about 60 years. And then you've got the second part. And the second part of the book runs from chapter 7, obviously, right through to the end of the book. And that covers the second wave of exiles that return from Babylon. So that's the first thing, a book in two parts, okay? Second thing, that uh, from start to finish, the book of Ezra covers a span of about 90 years. Okay, it runs from, what was that? that? That Date that I kept banging on about uh, last week, 538, when uh, Cyrus issued that decree. It runs from then right through to about 445 BC. That's the second thing. And then the third thing. (laughs) What? What's the book called? The book is called Ezra. But we've read now three chapters of this book. Where is Ezra? There doesn't seem to be much talk about him. So who is he? Well, we don't need to worry about Ezra too much just now. Um, For now, just note that Ezra is the author of the book. And he plays, he's a scribe, and he plays a, a, a very important role. But he doesn't actually arrive till later on. He's part of the second wave that come back. From exile. So we'll get to Ezra, but it won't be until later on in the book. So those are some introductory points about the book of Ezra. Um, So let's zoom back in and let's look at chapter 3. So, what's the situation here? Well, the people of God, we know that they have travelled back from Babylon, they come back from exile, we've seen that. But in chapter 3, they are now about to re-instigate the proper worship of God. So let's tonight think about what that worship looked like. Here's a people, they're, they're starting this new chapter in their lives. And they are beginning again the worship of God. So what or did that look like? So we've got three things. The first thing, the first point tonight is this, that the people engaged in unified worship. The people engaged in unified worship. So by that, I'm sure you see that in the providence of God, there is a lot of crossover here with what we Looked at and studied this morning. So, point one: the people engaged in unified worship. Because if your Bibles are open, just just look to verse one, just the opening verse, because it says the people assembled. How the people assembled as one man, as one man. So why did they do that? Why were they so united? at this point of their history. They gathered as one man. Well, let's note two things about their unity. Two things. Now, I don't know if you are TV fanatics. I don't know if you watch a lot of TV or not. Um, If you are, you might know and be upset by the fact that the Extreme Makeover Home Edition has been cancelled It is no more. I hate to break it to you. But if you are not familiar um, with the program, the idea behind it is very, very simple. The idea is that um, the team, they find a needy family. They find a a family with with problems or issues and they uh, re design i was going to say redesign their home in fact it's a bit more dramatic than that what tends to happen is that they to all intents and purposes knock the person's home down and rebuild it in a much grander way and at the beginning of extreme makeover home edition what happens is that there's usually a speech by the 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 main presenter i think his name's ty pennington and he addresses those who are going to be working on the project doesn't he um, so everyone gathers together in the garden and he speaks to them. He speaks to everyone. He speaks to the builders, loads of them. He speaks to the plumbers. He speaks to the, the electricians. He speaks to the, the TV crew, the TV presenters, the friends of the family. He speaks to this huge group of people. And that is a group of people united by a common common purpose and that's the first thing that we've got to note about the unity that the people in Ezra demonstrate it was that they were united by a common purpose what was that purpose we've seen it it was to reinstigate the worship of God they've got this new chapter and they want the priority to be among above everything else the worship of their God and surely, even there, we see an application for the life of this church and the life of us as Christians. Because as we saw this morning, we are required to be a people who are united. We're supposed to be together in Christ. And we learn in Ezra chapter 3 that that's not beyond us. That can happen. We can be a united people if we keep in view the purpose we have the worship of an eternal God. Now, I think if we're honest with each other sometimes we come to church quite lazily don't we? We don't pray beforehand. We don't consider what we're about to do. We don't pray that we would have hearts of worship. We don't pray on our knees begging that God would speak to us. And sometimes if we come to church lazily, then it's easy for us to be to become annoyed by the other people that we meet. We can become irritated by by, by or irritated or frustrated by our other Christians at church. But that wasn't the case here in Ezra chapter 3. Because they stood shoulder to shoulder with their brothers and sisters in faith. They assembled, what does it say? As one man. Why? Because they had the same purpose. They had the purpose in view. So that's the first thing. The, same thing is that, the second thing here is that they were united also by the bond that they share. They're united by the bond that they share. Because they didn't just assemble as one man. Where were they? Where were they? They assembled as one man in Jerusalem. So folks, why were they in Jerusalem? Because they were the people of God, weren't they? They were God's covenant people. They've returned from exile to the promised land. And they get to Jerusalem, the home of the covenant people. They shared a bond. They shared the bond of the covenant. They were in covenant with each other and they were in covenant with God. And again, the application is just, come on, it's it's obvious. It's crystal clear, isn't it? Are you uh, driven mad by uh, your fellow Christians sometimes? Are you uh, hurt by them? Are you upset sometimes well in circumstances like that we must keep in view the common bond that we share because see that christian that annoys you christ died for that person christ loves that person so much that he went to the cross for them so we must keep that in view keep in view the shared bone. So they assembled as one man. They engaged in unified unified worship. That's the first point. And I don't know if you get the news much this week, but on Thursday, I think it was, um, the Eurozone returned to recession. So there was uh, the, the economy shrunk by 02 percent over a three-month period. And recently, the the German finance minister, he uh, came out and, and, and stated that for the future advancement of Europe, that all countries, all the countries in the Eurozone, they must adhere to a set of financial agreements, that for there to be progress... All the countries had to had to get together and agree and focus on a set of financial guidelines. We see a parallel with that, a parallel of sorts in Ezra three. Because these are a people who are spiritually or who were spiritually bankrupt in in exile. And now they're given this chance to move forward to reinstate the worship of God. But they have to do that in adherence with a set of guidelines and principles. So that takes us to the second thing. And that is that the people engaged in spiritual, sorry, scriptural worship. The people engaged in scriptural worship. You see... This worship was fundamentally guided by scripture. We see that in verse two, um, the end of verse two. What does it say there? It says that they began to build the altar of the God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on it in accordance with what is written in the law of Moses. That, 's repeated a few times here, but it's repeated at the beginning of verse four it says, beginning of verse four, then, in accordance with what is written, they celebrated the feast of tabernacles, so everything they did here, okay, absolutely everything they did from the people involved, the sacrifices that were required, the times of the sacrifices, the, the feast that they celebrated, everything was guided by the word of God. Scripture set the agenda for their worship. And there is application surely for us there too, because look around us here tonight. We could be really disheartened by the fact that the church is half-full. We could be, could we not? Really disheartened. And sometimes we are. And what happens when we're disheartened is sometimes we can be sidetracked. We can be taken away from what is important. And what can happen all too readily is that we move from Scripture, from the Bible, to a couple of other Places. We can move from Scripture to the world. You got that? We can move from Scripture to the world. What do I mean by that? Well, when we see a half-empty church, the temptation might be to think, well, our services aren't that user-friendly, are they? The temptation might, might be to water down the message. The temptation might be not to talk about hard issues like sin and judgment and instead to have a watered-down, pale imitation of that. And the second move we can make is to go from Scripture to ourselves. To go from Scripture to ourselves. You see, we can be disheartened by an apparent lack of spiritual growth in our congregations. And then what happens is that we get caught up in unscriptural uh, incidentals, let's call them. Stuff like, what are people wearing to church? That's a common one, a common complaint. Are people wearing the right colours? People dressed in black or not? Are people wearing hats? Are people wearing ties? That sort of thing. Well, friends, it is not... What we wear to church that is important. It is our heart. Our heart before God. So let's not get sidetracked. Let's stick in our services to where the power is. And the power is in scripture in combination with the Holy Spirit. And we learn in Ezra 3. Something exciting. We learn something here that is mind-blowing. Something that is staggering. And something that should provide us with real encouragement. Because what we see in Ezra 3 is the breathtaking relevance of the Bible. The breathtaking relevance of Scripture. Because... What did these people read about when they opened Scripture? What did they find out about, uh, about how they should worship? Well, what did they do in Ezra 3? So that they established the altar, right? We, we know that. We know that they, they, they did all these sacrifices. They made the sacrifices. We know that. The new moon sacrifices. But what religious festival? did they celebrate here? What did they read about? It was the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay? It, stick with me on this. It was the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles, it would have been new to most of these people. Because remember, they've been in exile for years, and they wouldn't have been able to celebrate it in Babylon. And now, they they come back, they open the Bible, and they read about this. They, they're reinstigating the word of God, and they read about the Feast of Tabernacles. So what was that all about? What's the Feast of Tabernacles all about? Well, it commemorated the exodus of the people from Egypt. The feast was where the people camped out in temporary huts, temporary housing that they'd uh, that they 'd make to remember the temporary housing that the people stayed in as they they made that exodus from Egypt now imagine you 're one of these exiles and you 're reading about that for the first time. Can you imagine just how absolutely? breathtakingly relevant that was to these people do you see it folks these are these are people who have just traveled back from exile just like the people in exodus had these are people who have just made that really really difficult journey from babylon where doubtless they would have had to stay in temporary accommodation just like the people from from the exodus hand. You see, they they read in the law, they read in scripture of God's hand of deliverance, his hand of deliverance, how he delivered a people from exile in a foreign country. It couldn't have been any more relevant to these people. So friends, don't despair, you know, don't don't worry if our services don't seem user-friendly or they're not that, they're all flowery, you know. Just be assured that if our worship is grounded in Scripture, if it is immersed in the Bible, then guess what? It will be relevant. It will be relevant to you, it will be relevant to me, and it will be relevant to those people that God sends through those doors. So they worshipped according to what was written. They engaged in spiritual, scriptural worship. So the last thing tonight, point three. We've seen that they engaged in unified worship. They engaged in scriptural worship. Now point three, the, they, the people engaged in authentic worship authentic worship so two things to, to note as we close now I went to see King Kong when it was released a few years ago, I loved the original so I wanted to go and see this, this new version of it and I went with a good group of friends to see King Kong and one of my friends came out at the end and I was chatting to her and I, and I looked at her and said you know did Did you enjoy the film? And she said, yeah, I I did. I I really did. I enjoyed it a lot. So I looked at her and said, did you cry when King Kong died? And she looked at me and she said, no, no, I I didn't cry at all. And I knew that she was lying because she was looking at me and her eyes were bright red and she had a huge dollop of hanky just... Stuck to the corner of her eye, so I knew that this poor girl had seriously been affected by the film and that takes us to a first thing that we know, need to know about the this authentic worship, and that is that it was genuinely emotional it was genuinely emotional i 'll just read. The last couple of verses again. You can follow me if your Bible's open. Don't worry. I'll read it if you could. Just listen with me if you want. Verse 12. But many of the older priests and leaders and family heads who had seen the former temple, they wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid while many others shouted for joy. So what? They were crying. They were weeping as this happened. Why was that? Well, there's a couple of possible reasons. The first one is that these, because of the older people, they would have seen the former temple before they went into exile. So they were perhaps weeping here because this temple wasn't quite the size and grandeur. Of the first one. So that's a possibility. The second possibility though. Is that they were overcome. By distress. Because they would have seen this. Foundation laid. And it would have reminded them of the reasons why. They went into exile. In the first place. They could have been overcome by distress. At their sin. Certainly, that's a possibility. But regardless of what the reason is, what's sure is that this isn't just some sort of dry ritual for these people, is it? This is not about habits. This is not routine for them. This community, they engaged in authentic, genuine, heartfelt worship of God. It was emotional. Now, I grant you that emotional is a dangerous word. It's definitely a dangerous word when it's in conjunction with worship. We've got to be careful with it. But what's clear here, as well as many other passages in Scripture, is that the people cried when they worshipped God. They were weeping as they worshipped God. Why? Because it mattered to them. Because it was meaningful. This was authentic worship. And then the second thing, this is the final thing to note tonight, okay? The second thing about uh, the authentic worship of God. For the people, dealing with sin came first in worship. Dealing with sin came first because just consider if you will the order that the people do all this stuff and just look at the order of it all what's the first thing that they build they build the altar it says that in verse two they began they began to build the altar so before anything else before they build the temple before they even go and get the materials to build the temple, before they start singing praise to God, before anything else, the people repent. The people sacrifice. The people repent. In worship, they took their sin seriously. And that's a common principle right throughout the Old Testament. Because... What's the first thing that Noah did when he left the ark? He's faced with his rebuilding project. What's the first thing he does? It says, Genesis 8.20, Then Noah built an altar. What's the first thing that Abraham did when he reached Canaan? He's faced with this huge rebuilding project. What's the first thing that he does? Genesis 12.7, So Abraham... Built an altar to the Lord. They build altar. See, the people in Ezra, they knew that their first priority had to be to get right with God. So they build an altar. They repent. The only way to be right with God was through sacrifice. So let me ask you just this one thing before we close, before we leave this place tonight, last thing. Are you trying to rebuild your life? Is that where you're at? Have things just fallen apart? Have they just disintegrated before you? Well, if so, consider that just as the rebuilding of this community in Ezra, it started with the building of this altar. So the rebuilding of your life, the foundation stone of that, has to be the cross of Jesus Christ. It has to be the foundation stone because God has provided that sacrifice for you and all you need do is repent and believe. So, no wonder their worship was emotional. No wonder their worship was authentic. And friends, no wonder, verse 11 says here, and all the people gave a great Shout of praise to the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Let's pray.